Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Brian Kuntz. I'm one of the elders here at Florence Christian Church. And uh, I, as Aaron, I think, mentioned earlier, um, have the opportunity to uh, share with you this morning. I'm not the usual teaching pastor here, but uh, opportunity today. So um, that opportunity to, that privilege to share the word, to stand up here for the next few moments um, it is truly a privilege and is truly a responsibility. And it's, it's something um, Paul talks about in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 15. He talks about, uh, Paul tells us, to make every effort to present yourselves approved to God, an unashamed workman who accurately handles the word of truth. And that's not... Um, an assignment to me exclusively or to Aaron who is up here uh, teaching having that opportunity but to all of us and um, so I would I would challenge you with that I have been challenged the last few weeks in my preparations for this morning uh, in time in the word and that's something that we should all be doing and all be challenged and all be growing and all be learning and being changed um, this morning, as we go through this passage, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. I will use words like you and me, maybe, um, but what I really mean is me. <laughs> as I read through this and studied the last few weeks, the challenges are, are personal to me. The uh, observations are personal to me. It's not an uh, accusation of anybody other than myself um, with things and us together as a church. Uh, so just bear that in mind. Don't be offended. <laughs> this passage in Luke chapter 6 kind of breaks down into three sections, or I chose to break it into three sections, the first one being about prayer, um, the second one being about choosing when uh, Christ chooses the 12 apostles, and this uh, third and final little section uh, gathering and healing is what I called that. Uh, I want to start off by reading through uh, these verses in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 19, and then we will go back and kind of divide it into those three uh, sections that I mentioned. So uh, in verse 12, it starts this way. It says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor." And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and healed them all. Let's, let's pause and pray before we go back and break that down. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that it brings. Thank you for the instruction that it brings. Uh, 
we ask for your help this morning in uh, studying your word and unpacking this. I pray that you would help me, Lord, to communicate clearly. I pray that your spirit would be here and would teach us and would lead us, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity. Amen. Uh, so, starting back in verse 12 at the beginning of that, I want to pause there and look, look at that, that verse. It says this, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Uh, all night. Let's, I want to back up. Uh, Aaron talked in uh, the first part of chapter 6 last week. But what drove Jesus to prayer? What was the setting that he went to the mountain and prayed all night? I think that's kind of important, and we can learn a lot from that. What had happened previously, in the days previous to this, if you remember from last week, him and his uh, disciples were walking through a grain field on the Sabbath, and as Aaron put it last week, they had a snack. So they picked some of the, the grain heads, rubbed them together, and were eating them. And the religious leaders became uptight about this uh, in accusing them of working on the Sabbath and breaking the law, which on its face seems pretty silly. Um, And then also immediately prior to this, uh, the story right before that, was uh, the man with the withered hand. And again, this comes down to uh, this legalism of the religious leaders and Jesus chooses to heal this man with a withered hand, but he chooses to do it on the Sabbath, and that made people uptight. And it created this conflict, and if we were to read verse 11 that Aaron taught uh, on last week and and read to us, it's talking about the religious leaders right after Jesus had healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath, and it says this about them. It says, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. That's in the ESV. The message, paraphrase, says it this way. It says about the religious leaders, they were beside themselves with anger. That kind of drives home the point. I don't know if you have ever been beside yourself with anger. I have. I was beside myself with anger last week at a horse that (laughs) was not cooperating with me. Um, so I, I have been there a few times, <laughs> not, not necessarily proud to say. Um, so that's the setting that we see this. You have these religious leaders beside themselves with anger at Jesus for doing good, for healing. And what does Jesus do? We kind of see his reaction. What prompts him to prayer? There's this conflict, uh, this, this struggle, and Jesus withdraws to the mountain to pray all night. I sometimes, when I first read that, I wonder about how I react in conflict and in someone maybe being beside themselves with anger at me, or me being beside myself with anger at somebody else. Uh, does that drive me to prayer? Honestly, I, I'm ashamed to answer that. And so that's that part of when I say you and we, I mean me in that, that God has dealt with me on that and is dealing with me on that. Uh, But Jesus' example, it drove him to prayer and to prayer all night to um, escape away to prayer. Um, Jesus was marked by prayer. He, He didn't just simply 
pray. He prayed before things happened. He prayed after. He prayed at night, sometimes all night, like in this uh, instance here. He prayed repetitively. He prayed for others. He prayed for himself. He prayed for God's will. Uh, He prayed. Uh, The book of Luke uh, gives us more accounts of Jesus praying than any of the other Gospels, Uh, you, you know, interestingly enough. If you go through the Gospels, this is not at all exhaustive, but this is just a short uh, list, account of Jesus praying. In Luke 3, he prayed at his baptism. In Mark 1, he prayed in the morning. In Luke 5, he prayed after healing people. In Luke 6, he prayed all night. That's the passage we're in today. In Matthew 11, he prayed while speaking to Jewish leaders. In uh, John 6, he prayed before feeding the 5,000. In Matthew 14, he prayed before he walked on water. In Mark 7, he prayed while healing a deaf man. In Luke 10, he prayed at the return of the 70 who had been sent out prior to that. In Matthew 26, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. We have three different accounts of him praying there. In Luke 23:34, he prayed on the cross while he was dying for us. In Luke 23, 46, just a couple verses later, he prayed with his dying breath. He prayed these words, Father, into my hands, I commend my spirit. And that's uh, very convicting. Do you, do I, do we pray like that? Um, before conflict, before challenge, in the midst of it? Are we known for a prayer? Aaron, I believe it was last week or the week before in his message, was talking about uh, there are several things that the church, that we, the public outside of the church, knows the things that we are against. But does it know the things we are for? And does it know that we pray? Are we marked by that? Are we known for prayer? Am I known for prayer? Are you known for prayer? And again, that can be an uncomfortable answer if I answer that honestly. Um, If we look at this, uh, even just this verse 12 a little bit more, and look at uh, how did Jesus go about praying, uh, first he withdrew to the mountain, it says. In those days he went to the mountain to pray. Uh, If we back up one chapter in Luke 5, Verse 16, it says this. It says, But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This wasn't a one-time event or an occasion. Uh, He had made a habit of this. Why did he withdraw? We could ask. Um, I'm sure there are multiple reasons. Some of those possibly could be to prevent interruption, uh, to not be seen by men, uh, to avoid the pull of the crowd, That is, peer pressure, sway, those sort of things, um, to be effective in prayer. And we can learn from that model. It is an example that uh, we could strive to follow. He also, uh, just logistically, he prayed all night. And when I read that, I think of, have I, have you, have we prayed all night ever? 
it's a fair question when we read that. Um, you know, and you might say to yourself, well, yes, he, he prayed all night, but this was Jesus. You know, come on. This is God. Well, if he needed to pray all night, <laughs> how much more, you and I, if we're honest with ourselves, is there that need? I, you know, it's just it's an uncomfortable truth that I've confronted with for the last uh, three to four weeks. Uh, he prayed... Um, for a myriad of reasons, I'm sure, but right bef- uh, the next verses we're going to see, uh, he was about to choose the apostles, uh, the 12 uh, apostles, and designate them to that. Uh, and Jesus, being God, he had at his disposal this infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom, all of these things, but he had chosen to become a man, and he had uh, submitted to that fact. And I'm sure that it, this is just me talking at any point. He could have chosen differently. He's God. But he chose to stay submitted to that and to seek his Father on this matter and to pray and to get direction on that. Um, and if so, if Jesus, God, being man, I realize that, had laid down that infinite knowledge but needed guidance from the Father, again, how much more do you, do I, need guidance from the Father? A lot more, if we're honest with ourselves. There's a a quote that I came across from Charles Spurgeon about uh, a night alone in prayer, and and it says this. I'll read that to you. It says, One night alone in prayer might make us new men, changed from poverty of soul, to spiritual wealth, from trembling to triumphing. And I don't, I don't know about you, I can speak for me, but trembling to triumphing sounds appealing to me. That sounds, sounds like a good thing. And if I hope for that, if I long for that, if I desire that, I can rest assured and know that prayer will be involved or it will not happen. Um, Again, just a, a, a truth that sometime is, sometimes is inconvenient and uncomfortable, uh, but a fact nonetheless. Uh, Jesus did not just pray. He was marked by prayer, and that is something uh, that we need to be aware of and emulate in our lives and in his church. If we continue reading in Luke chapter 6, uh, 13 through 16, where he chooses the apostles, it says this, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became traitor. So he named them apostles. Apostles, when I looked it up, is emissary. The definition of it is emissary or one who is sent. And when I read through this list of, of men, it's quite a list of characters and people. When you do a little delve into it and do a little research on that, um, you know, Peter, Thomas, Andrew, John and James were all fishermen. Uh, 
It, it seemed as though John and James were possibly owned boats or had men or had employees rather than were, they were employers rather than employees, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, you know, fishermen were quite possibly a little gruff and rugged, not known to be uh, social uppities, uh, hardworking. I have fished a bit in my younger years. It's been 25 plus years ago. I don't know, maybe longer than that. Time gets away from me. Um, when Kathleen was in nursing school, I've worked as a, as a concrete mason most of my life also. And uh, she was in nursing school. We were living in Coos Bay at the time. And uh, it was fall. We needed money for school and to live. And concrete was slowing down. And so I, I went down to the docks and never fished before, mind you, and started walking and talking to skippers on the boat. Hey, you need somebody? And so this one guy is like, yeah, sure. Hey, go get your stuff. You know, um, we're going we're gonna to take off this afternoon. We'll be gone for a couple, a couple days. It's key on the couple. I don't know what a couple means to you, but oftentimes that means two, maybe three, like in my mind, but I was, I was mistaken. Um, so I run home and I tell Kathleen, we were living in an apartment at the time above this garage in a house, and I was like, hey, I got a job on this boat. It's called the Jaguar. I'm taking off. I'm going to need some clothes. I've got to pack up. I'm going. She's like, okay. Um, <laughs> you've never fished before? Well, yeah, I know. This guy gave me a job, though. Let's go. So I pack up. I head back down there to the boat, put my stuff on, and we take off. And we go, and okay, everything's going good. This was a dragger boat. We were shrimp, shrimping, actually. And, um, you know, a day goes by, a couple days go by, three days. That can mean a couple. Four, sure, yeah, that could be a couple. And there's no cell phones back then either. So Kathleen, I'm just gone, she, you know, in a moment's notice. Five, six days go by. It's like, well, this guy shanghaied me. What's going on here? Um, so I think I was about 10 days that we were gone before we finally turned around and came in. And so I, I learned a little bit about that, what fishing is like. And that job, I did a couple turns with him, led to a job where I went up to uh, Dutch Harbor, Alaska that winter to crab come January. And this is before the whole deadliest catch thing, you know, so I didn't know what I was even getting into um, <laughs> with things. So I, I got a job on this boat up there uh, called the Courageous, and they, they f flew me up there and picked me up at the airport, and we went, and, you know, I got on this boat and went to fish, and we, or crab, and we were crabbing. And on that boat, when you went out onto the deck, this just kind of puts fishing in a, um, a mindset or a, a vision of it for those that haven't been around it. When you walked out the wheelhouse door in the morning, which we got up about 5 and started fishing and fished till around 11 each night, you know, so you were putting in some pretty long hours, there was a, see, you walked out the door and right to your left on that boat, there was what would be like a little case for a fire extinguisher, like break, in case of emergency, break the glass and you can pull the fire extinguisher out of there. But instead, there was a bottle of whiskey in there. <laughs> and what the skipper had instructed us was if somebody goes overboard, they're dead anyways, break the glass throw them their last drink, and get back to fishing. 
that was their their thing and so every day when we would walk out of the wheelhouse everybody would hit that kiss that and say not today I'm not drinking you today that was the thing and then you went to work every morning so that kind of puts the uh, a picture of the environment that it was so I'm, I'm sure these guys were similar you know different technology but but similar um, quite a mix and then you had in this mix also that he chose Matthew the tax collector who worked with and for the Romans pretty unpopular at the time especially probably with this group of fishermen <laughs> I can't imagine that or in the group Simon the zealot a, a zealot refers to possibly a politician or an anarchist who was attempting to overthrow the Roman government whom Matthew was working with and for so you've got those two that probably want to kill each other I don't know what they're thinking and then you throw in a half dozen fishermen into that mix and I mean it, it must have been crazy um, you know we all know at family dinners uh, you know you, you go at the holidays and there's a group you don't talk about politics oftentimes depends on your family you know but but these guys it must have been over the top to be around them especially at first I, I can't even imagine it uh, but God chose them. Jesus chose them after all night conferring with his father. He is sovereign. He is able. He is right in choosing them, that mix of men. And there's a, there's a little video that I want to play that I want us to watch. It's just a few minutes long. And in this video, it is, uh, this is set in Old Testament, and it is Jacob and his sons, and they're digging a well. And it's, uh, it refers to, it talks about Jesus and him and God, how he chooses. This list that Jesus chose, uh, when God chose in this instance in the Old Testament, um, we can see ourselves in this list of the apostles. I can see myself in uh, Jacob and how much of a... Uh, slippery character he was if you go back and read the account um, I can identify with Peter the denier with Thomas the doubter uh, with Simon the zealot with uh, James and John who were uh, sons of thunder hotheads um, but one of the most puzzling choices in this list uh, one of the most sovereign choices of all might be Judas Iscariot, the thief and the betrayer. Uh, Jesus chose Judas knowing what was to come, knowing uh, what God would allow and even use this great evil for great good. If there's one thing that you remember from the, the brief moments this morning where you listened to me share, that would be if I could communicate to you uh, that Jesus has chosen you. Um, he is sovereign. He is able. He is right in doing so. Um, no matter what you think of yourself or what people think of you, God has chosen you. Uh, Luke 19.10 tells us this. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And in 2 Peter 3.9, it 
It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So if you fit under the category of everyone, then He is in pursuit of you and He has chosen you. Uh, There was a, a man that once asked a theologian a question. And that question was this. He said, why did Jesus choose Judas Iscariot to be his disciple? The teacher replied, I do not know, but I have an even harder question. Why did Jesus choose me? God does the choosing. He is right in doing so. And he has chosen you. And he has chosen me. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, tell us this. It says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. You are chosen, and God has chosen you. Going on, the last uh, group of verses that I had entitled Gathering and Healing, verses 17 through 19, uh, it says this, And he came down with them and stood on a level place. I'm going to stop just right there and kind of break down that instead of reading um, the whole rest of the verses. That idea of Jesus coming down, um, I, know, I realize in this passage there's a geographic element to that coming down because at the beginning of this passage he went up to the mountain to pray. So elevation-wise he came down. Uh, but there's also another element of that, an idea of that that struck me as I read and prayed about this, that God comes down to be with us, to operate with us. And he came down with them and stood on a level place. That is the disciples, his apostles. He came down and was with them, this model of that. And they're about to work together. As we read the rest of this, we're going to see. And that idea, um, that model, that plan that we see in place where God comes down and works with us, He did it here in Luke chapter 6 and he's still doing that today in choosing us. He is coming down and he's working with us, the church. That is his plan. Good plan, bad plan, our opinions about it don't matter so much (laughs) as much as his opinion matters about it. Just as though we read earlier when Jesus prayed all night and consulted with his father, and then he comes down and he picks this list of guys? you got to be kidding me. Or the idea that he chooses us and comes down and works with us? you got to be kidding me. That, he could do so much better than that. No, this is, this is plan A. You are plan A. This is what God has chosen. He has chosen you. He has chosen me. He has chosen us. Um, the results of that, of his plan... The second half of verse 17, and it says this, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. 
they came from all around after prayer, after God coming down and working with the disciples, with us, with, with man. And in that unity, what happened? People were drawn. They were drawn from a long ways around. No cars, no buses, no easy way to get there, but they came in spite of that because they were drawn there. Then in verse 18, uh, 18 and 19, the rest of this passage, it says, Who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So again, results of prayer, of working together, of following God's lead, is people are drawn, delivered, and healed. That model is applicable today. God is doing that same thing and desires to do that same thing. And we are a part of that because he has chosen us because he is sovereign and right in doing so. Um, when we read those last couple verses, it talks about uh, healed their diseases. And this is understandable and relatable to us today. Um, we sometimes pray and do not see that happen in the way that we anticipate it or desire it to happen. But we can understand and relate to it. But there's also in that uh, passage, it says, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And this is oftentimes harder for us to relate to or believe or acknowledge. Um, this spiritual uh, oppression, demonic oppression. Um, and I wonder if it could be that we in the Western society have transferred a lot of our faith in God into faith in man and science. And we are dumbed down, for lack of a better word. We're uh, unaware of spiritual oppression that's going on around us and that we suffer from and that others suffer from. And we don't even know what it is. We have a name for it in science or we have faith in man rather than faith in God. And that whole way of thinking is, has not always been that way. And it's not that way all around the world. Um, there are many people around the world that are very aware of the spiritual battle that we're in, and they see it for what it is. Uh, Aaron had mentioned also in the last couple of weeks about the church, us having a peacetime mentality in a time of war versus having a really knowing the score and knowing what's going on and seeing the spiritual battle that's happening and that we're engaged in. So I'm, my hopes are that we can become more more aware and more involved in what's really going on and as a result, be more effective as a church. Uh, I think out of lacking that intensive prayer, that lack of unity, that love for one another, um, we tend to, especially here in America, exchange our faith in God for faith in man and in science. And we're pretty self-sufficient and we're pretty proud about that. Uh, and that's not a healthy thing. It's not something that we want. Uh, 
Um, one of the final things in verse 19, it says this, it says, power came out from Jesus. Uh, and that kind of stuck out to me. It cost him. Uh, it, it was not free nor easy necessarily. Uh, something came out from him and was spent. That idea of that. Even after prayer, even being unified, coming down and working with the disciples, even following God's lead, there was a price to pay. And we need to be aware of that and expect that as a church. Uh, that there will be a price to pay in following God. And even when it's done in a healthy and a correct manner, there is struggle and there is uh, sacrifice and a price to pray, uh, excuse me, a price to pay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and have Kevin and the musicians come back up here and just getting ready to wrap up here in closing. I kind of want to remind you of two important things and one we just talked on and I want to reiterate that. That idea that it will cost you to be chosen of God. That there's a price to pay for that, and that is okay. And we should go forward and embrace that. Um, and then, chiefly, I would like to, uh, to remind you that you are chosen. Uh, God is right in doing so. He is sovereign. He is able. He has made a correct choice in choosing you. If we look at uh, back in 1 Samuel... When uh, King David, who was a boy then, was not a king yet, was chosen, God had instructed Samuel to go and anoint the new king. And he went, and uh, when he goes there, everybody's all uptight about him showing up, the prophet, what's going on, what's going on. He tells them what he's there to do. And they bring in all of David's brothers, and they get paraded before uh, him one at a time before the prophet, and God rejects every one of them. doesn't doesn't choose them as king of Israel. And then it's like, well, there has to be more because God sent me. Uh, Samuel saying, well, there is this one other, the youngest, David. He's out tending the sheep. Well, go get him. So they go and get him, and they bring him, and God tells him right then, "This is my man. I've chosen him. He is the king of Israel. Anoint, rise and anoint him." And so I would just, I would want to challenge you out of that story, what you think of yourself, what people think of you, around you, uh, the people around David in his life that knew him the best, his dad, his brothers, his family, what did they see? They saw a boy, they saw a shepherd, they saw somebody who should be with the sheep. But what did God see? He had chosen him. He was the king of Israel. That's what God saw. So, Thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. Um, let's pray and we'll conclude. Thank you for your word, God, and your faithfulness. Thank you for choosing us, God. We acknowledge your right and your sovereignty in doing so, Lord. May we walk in that. May we embrace that. And uh, God, may we expect to struggle. Uh, 
but yet to go forward in the model and in the choice that you have made, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.